So it is uh, July 7th, 2013. Our message is called The Apex Predator. The apex of something is the very top, the, the, the highest peak that you can have. How many of you know a polar bear is not walking around scared to death something's going to eat it? Do you know why? It does the eating. Nothing eats a polar bear. An orca does not swim around in its pod scared of anything. Not even a great white shark. Those things will run from a pod of orcas because they are the apex predator in the sea. In the spiritual realm, God did not call you to be a meerkat. He did not call you to stick your head out of a hole and look for something to eat you. He called you to be the apex predator. We are in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in the highest host of the heavens. We are seated on the throne of God. The Word declares it. When we begin to believe this, we might dare to act like it. And this will give you power to say no to the devil. It will give you power to say no to sin. I'm here to tell you that we need a declaration of war, friends. We live in an age where we have blurred the lines. We say we have a conflict. We say there's a regional dispute. It used to be that a nation declared war. It made the lines clear and said one of us is going to yield to the other. I want you to know that the enemy has his sights set on you. He is intent on making you yield to him. That is his goal. He'll stop with nothing short of making you a slave. But we have a choice. In the name of Jesus, we have a choice. Somebody say, I got a choice. Let us turn to the book of Deuteronomy and look at the proper way to declare war. It'll be the 20th chapter. And I don't do this kind of stuff very often, but before we read the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy, I found this new application called YouTube. I know it's a surprise. You've never heard of it. I'm often a little behind the times, but my kids are catching me up. I want to show you a video that made me throw up and laugh all at the same time. Is that okay? Y'all in the the mood just to be stirred up a little bit?
my goodness, the world is upside down. What's wrong with that dog? If you got the right kind of dog and the right kind of cat, that's not how it's supposed to go. What I'm trying to tell you is you were not made to surrender. And you know what's worse than surrendering under attack? Surrendering before you've even been struck. What has happened? The church of the living God has made all of the boasts that that little dog made. It stands at the stairs and it barks at the gates of hell. But if hell advances towards it, for some reason, it's lost its nerve. I'm telling you that Deuteronomy 20 tells us how to wage war. Tells us how we're supposed to be. And we don't curl up and hide on a couch. When you go to war, not if you go to war, not if you consider it, when you go to war, you were born to fight. The nation of Israel, when it came out of Egypt, was armed for battle. The fact that God allows you periods of peace in your life, periods where you're not in hand-to-hand combat, this is His blessing from heaven, but you were made for war. You're supposed to be the apex predator. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be... What's it say? He will be with you. The question is not will He be with you. The question is will you be with Him? We cannot stay home while everyone else goes off to war. You cannot wait for the very handful of missionaries around the world to complete the work God gave us all to do. You cannot stand back a hundred strong in a church and wait for one pastor to do what God called you to do. He said when you go to war, not when your selected representatives go to war, not when your very few mighty men go to war, when you go to war, I will be with you. We live in a time period where the church stands back and says if God wants it done... God will do it. Friends, He purchased a people to do His will. He purchased you to do His will. He addresses every area that keeps us from doing His will. Right here in this chapter, He says, When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against the enemies and to give you victory. Oh, man. To give you what? Not to give you a place to hide. Not to give you a shelter. What was wrong with that dog? He's getting slapped all in the face. I mean, just shot after shot. And you can hear it on the camera. Pow, pow, pow. It's like he forgot he had teeth. Are you a Christian that has forgotten you have teeth? We follow the Lion of Judah, saints. We serve the Almighty God whose white robe will be dipped in blood. He will pull from his mouth a sharp double-edged sword that is the very Word of God. You have teeth. Somebody told us we can't help but sin. Somebody told us that as long as we live in this flesh, we have to sin. And I say, no, I'm at war with sin. I don't have to do anything except what the living God tells me to do. I don't want to be a slave. Do you want to be a slave? Then you have to choose to fight. 
You think you can make a treaty. You can say, hey, I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone. There is no nation on earth that has ever appeased an aggressor and come out the better for it. The devil is an aggressor. If he's anything, he's busy. We need to know something, church. He's already picked a fight with you. You might as well wake up and fight back. He's merciless. He's uncompassionate. He's tireless. And he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Come on, he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. Our God is merciful. He is compassionate. And when he told us to go to war, not a few of us, all of us, he makes very clear a couple things. He anticipates what might hold you back. The officers shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. It's almost as if he knew fear of loss of your possessions might make you liable in battle. See, you're supposed to be out there caring about what God cares about, putting the enemies of God underfoot. 1 John 3, 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. But all too often the church is too concerned about the house it's dedicated. We even call the house the church. This is a building, friends. Under this under this stucco on the wall is plywood, and under that plywood is sheetrock, and behind that is just metal studs. There's nothing holy about it. What's holy are the hands that built it. What's holy is what's housed inside of it. There's nothing special about this warehouse, but there's something incredibly special about the men and women in it. But I want to tell you, as a church, if your concern is for the house you've dedicated, you won't go to war. You'd be scared you lose it. How could we lose that cathedral we built for ourselves? I meant for the Lord. God says, you can stay home then. I don't need you. What if it's not a house? What if it's verse 6? What else? Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Lord, I would go, but you see, the thing is, is I need my income. I don't really trust you will provide for me. Instead, I need to make sure I provide for me. Why do you think Elijah's brook dried up? You think God ran out of water? I bet it was to show Elijah that his provision didn't come from the brook. It came from the living God. We live in a time period where God is drying up people's occupations. You could stay home and fret about it or you could go, I got one less thing to worry about. Today I'm going to do God's will. Come on, somebody say amen. Some man stays home because he's scared he's going to lose a job. Well, if God has seen fit to free you of your job, least you could do is work for him. They say we're 47% unemployed among adult males that could hold a full-time job and are now not. 47%. Well, then we ought to be having revival, right? Are we sitting at home in our pity parties? Are we whining and crying over all that we've lost? We had not given up anything yet for the kingdom of God, friends. Nothing worth keeping. What else does he say? Oh, has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may marry her. Oh, Lord, my home I got to protect. 
my job I got to protect, my family I got to protect. And we forgot that we come from the people that left everything in Ur of the Chaldees and sought to follow God. The fishermen who left everything in the Galilee and sought to follow God. We come from a tradition of men that threw caution to the wind, a reckless abandonment of concern for yourself and said it's Jesus or nothing. Where is that heart in the church? We have to grow our canine teeth again, if you will. Oh, I know. I know we've been told over and over and over, sheep don't have teeth. I assure you, the lost kind do. We've been told over and over and over, we're gentle as as a lamb. We're gentle as a lamb in the physical realm. And in the spiritual realm, we are the apex predator. You can command a demon. You're supposed to rule the very universe with God. He said that we would judge the angels. He said that. He said, you who have stood beside me in my trials, I will confer upon you a kingdom. Kings with God. What are we going to do? Stand back and whine that our family's at risk because we're ministering? You know what they say about us. You hear it. Those people even take children to Mexico. What are they thinking? We're thinking Jesus is bigger than the cartel. What are you thinking? Which side of this argument do you really want to be on? Those people are crazy. They give away whatever they have. I don't have anything he didn't give me and he gave it to me to give away. Oh, church, we need to decide whether we want to contribute to the kingdom or consume it. We need to decide whether we're the objects of the kingdom or the servants of the kingdom. We need to decide that we are at war and there's still work to be done. Somebody say amen. He goes on to say... Then the officer shall add this. Is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go. You know why? Fear is an enemy of your faith. When you spend your days and nights examining false evidence that appears real, otherwise known as fear, what you're trying to do is talk yourself out of what your spirit knows is right. You think that you have to give in, that you have to let up, that you have to shut up, that you have to back up. And the Spirit of God is rising in men and women in this room and saying, no more low living. In the name of Jesus, I can do this. Listen, friends. One man filled with the Spirit of God faces down armies. If you believed this, we wouldn't waste our time on entertainment. We wouldn't be eating spiritual junk food, listening to Christian pop radio like this was spiritual warfare. I've heard one too many little girls sing about uniting and loving the world. You know what? I came for the purpose of completing the task the Father gave me because that's what my king is doing. I don't want to hold hands and skip along on the beach. I didn't come to play nice. I came to snatch people out of the gates of hell because it's what my Jesus did. Do your neighbors know your name? Do they know what you stand for? Do the people around you know that you would die for the gospel or is it words only? When do we stand up and be counted? If not now, when? One president of the United States spoke of the poor, timid soul who neither knew victory nor defeat because they stayed home on the day of battle. We are not supposed to be pacifists. There is no such thing. Haman has already issued the writ of your destruction. Are you going to make a little Jewish girl throw a dinner party to save you? 
Are you going to stand up in the name of Jesus? I can hear the voice of Mordecai telling this crowd, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. You stand back and convince God of all the reasons that you can't do it. I don't have a house. I don't have a job. I don't have respect. And you sound like Moses at the burning bush. Moses stood and argued with God about how well he could speak. He argued with God about what he was and was not capable of. And yet, Moses' acts of faithfulness changed the world as we know it. Do you really think those scared little fishermen that left their house, not nearly as educated as the religious community, leaving the only security they'd ever known to follow, follow a Jewish rabbi that was anything but ordinary, no guaranteed success, no spiritual ladder to climb, no church waiting for them at the end of the pursuit that most likely would be crucified. You really think that they had smaller obstacles to overcome than we do? So I ask you, what are you born of? When you said you were born of God, when you said you were born again, what were you born of? The spirit that filled them or something else? We cannot stay home on the day of battle. Say, when is the day of battle? Look around you. It's everywhere. Oh, my goodness. We need to show up, number one. We need to show up prioritized and ready to fight. Anything that you lose in this glorious endeavor is given back a hundredfold over in this life and the life to come. The weekend I got born again was my first Christian arrest. The weekend after that, I got thrown out of my own house. By the third week, there was not a single friend that I had maintained in the previous four years that was still my friend. But look around you, saints. There are men and women in here that would die for the gospel, and so we lock arms and move forward. I stand with three children of my own and two that God blessed me through adoption. Stand with disciples of the living God. Tell me what you can give up for the king. My house, my family, my wife. He's given me back so much more than I ever held in my hand before. But it requires something of you. Y'all got a minute for one more video? I don't know why. I just, I like them. Let's watch it. Don't you feel sorry for a devil that is trying to make you a puppet? Don't you feel bad at all for a devil that is trying to ensnare you? You were born to chase those demonic powers that are trying to enslave your brothers and sisters. 
There's spiritual violence happening all around us. Nobody felt bad for that dog when the cat was slapping it in the face. In fact, it's funny, isn't it? Why is it funny? Because you're watching something that was made to be subjugated subjugate the ruler. Something inside you says that's so ironic. It's so backwards. It's so strange that I have to laugh just to relieve the tension. All saints, are the heavens laughing at you or laughing with you? You get the right kind of dog in a yard and it knows what to do. Saints, I don't care whether I am God's lap dog or he puts me as a son at his table. I know which he's chosen for me. But I'm, being, I'm happy to be used any way that he wants. And this morning, I feel my spirit rising up inside me saying, tell those people to pick a fight. We can't sit back and sit quietly forever. The world is going to hell in a handbasket all around us. And for fear of loss, we keep quiet. We're pretty sure that our neighbors will like us more if we just act a little more like them. What if God likes you less? He didn't call you to be like the world. He called you to be the church of the living God that overcomes the world. How do you overcome them? You smile. You love them. You refuse to whine when they whine. You refuse to be down when they're down. You say in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm a part of the victorious church. I know you're an American, so you say you're a Christian, but why don't you follow me into the presence of God? What prevents you? Give them an option, a real option. They'll tell you church is full of hypocrites. Agree with them quickly and then say, why don't you be a real one? Come be a real Christian. They'll tell you the church only wants your money and say, God's got all of mine already. Why don't you come with me? Nobody's going to put a plate in front of you. Church, we cannot sit back while our neighbors are enslaved by wickedness. You can't. When you step out to your mailbox and look to the left and the right, one of those directions contains a male and female adulterer. That's what the statistics say in America. When you look across the street at the two houses that almost touch your driveway, one of them has been divorced. That's what the The devil is running havoc all over this land that we say is a Christian nation. And we act like we can find nothing to do. Why did you come here today? Did you come here in the hopes that you would get something or the hope that you could contribute something to the kingdom of God? See, I believe the living God does not pity you. I believe the living God is not looking to pamper you or talk down to you. I think the Spirit of God is saying, Rise up, man of God. Rise up, woman of God. I've called you to higher living. In Isaiah 43, contains a beautiful promise. Turn with me there. Say there when you're there. Some of you are there on the screen. Get there in your Bibles if you got one. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. He didn't say when or if you walk through the water, if you walk through the rivers, if you walk through the fire. He assumed that if you were made of Him, they would treat you like they treated Him. Tell me something. In what way did Jesus save Himself? In what way did He hold Himself back from the scrutiny of others? In what way did He avoid persecution to make His life easier? How dare we call ourselves Christian when we're most preoccupied with an easy life? I'm telling you, if you're in a book that says your best life now, you might need to set it on fire. The best life now is the one that's abandoned everything for the gospel, not the one that has made itself the center of the kingdom of God with a bless me spirit. The living God is not here urging you to see what you can get from your neighbor or what you can trick God out of giving you. The living God is here saying, what can you do for me? I earned your obedience. I purchased you. I redeemed you. And he adds this promise. Whatever you go through, be it hell on earth, I'll walk with you. Oh, what would you give to know Jesus was walking with you? You know what the problem with sin is? It robs you of that confidence. It makes you believe that he is not walking with you. Oh, friends, he's with you. You're just not with him. We're back to our battle declaration. We don't need to look for something new to do. God's already picked what He wants us to do. We need to get with Him. We don't need to wait on God to move. We need to find out where He's already moving and get our feet moving in that direction. Well, I just don't know what to do. Let's start with what you already have been told to do. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you got down with them and said, I'm sorry you're enduring this painful trial, but you know what? Don't hate it because it's driving you towards Jesus. You know, we could throw some change at each other. We could do that. We could have a reverse offering, right? You'd all be happy for a few minutes. Take me all of a few minutes to give you all I got. Walk away. Boy, I really got something from church. God could turn over an armored car out there. And you feel all kind of blessed picking up all the change that fell on the ground. Or you could see yourself as a prince created by God to rule even the heavenly powers with the authority to cast out devils, heal sicknesses, cleanse lepers, and advance the kingdom of God. It'll bring purpose to your life. It'll bring meaning to you. It gives you a reason to wake up. It gives you a reason to go out and get in the fight. We cannot stand back and let that little cat slap us in the face. You forget what God has given you. Paul was not scared to talk like this. He said, with weapons of righteousness in my right hand and in my left hand. I don't wage war as the world does. But he didn't say he didn't wage war. Oh, this pansy preaching is killing us. We've gone to sleep. We've become obsessed with what we can get from God like He's a vending machine in the sky. It's that little claw game. You put in a quarter and you're hoping to snag an iPod. Really? When we're talking to the God of the universe, we want trinkets? Oh, ask Him for an ounce of who He is to be in you. 
Ask him just to reveal a little bit of his character to you and there's nothing you cannot do. Some looked at my life and esteemed me so much they said what we should do is my wife should clean houses and I should cut grass. That was all we would ever be capable of. These were men that were very proud of their own capabilities. It's 20 years later and I'm still preaching the gospel. I have no idea what they're doing, but I imagine they're where I left them, sitting around golf carts at country clubs. Your highest ambition in life to hit a 300-yard drive? You can have a robot do that. Make it your highest ambition to see 30 people saved in the next 30 days. Oh, there needs to be a spirit of evangelism in the church. And if we weren't so ashamed of the way we've been living, then we could tell people how we could be living together. Oh, church, let us stand up. Shake off shame. Shake off sin. And say, I may have got knocked to my knees yesterday, but today I'm on my feet. Praise God. Somehow or another, you got to stand up and fight. How far could I slap you? How far could I push you before you threw a punch back? Oh, in the flesh, we turn from all such wickedness. But in the spirit, you should only be pushed so far before you're willing to deliver a blow to the enemy. I'm sick of being intimidated. I'm sick of being pushed around. In the name of Jesus, I was called to be the one that pushes out. Oh, saints, don't settle for less than what you can have in the kingdom. Don't settle for less than you can be in the kingdom. There was a generation or two before us that conquered whole nations for the gospel. Places you can't hardly find on a map, but they're on heaven's map. They face down headhunter cannibals. They face down diseases, slave traders. They face down the arms trade in the name of Jesus because they love not their lives so much to shrink from death. What will be the accomplishment of the church of the last few decades? We figured out how to get 365 declarations of prosperity. What will be our accomplishment? We figured out how to put the word apostle on our license plates. We figured out how to make ourselves a ridiculous laughing stock. Oh, saints, it's as funny as watching that little bulldog thing run from the cat, except it's not funny at all when you realize it's at our expense. You have the right to fight back. As you read through this Isaiah 43, I want to tell you about an underdog nation. This little bitty group of people that starts with a single family. They get so stomped out by the Babylonians. Half of them get stomped out by the Assyrians. Later, Rome comes and lays waste to Israel. I'm talking about three times in the history. They've been so conquered, they seem to cease as a people group. And the same God said, I'll be with you in the fire. I'll be with you in the rivers and in the water. Goes on to say this. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you. And people in exchange for your life. How much did Jesus love you? How much did the Father value you and honor you in His sight? He gave His Son in exchange for you. 
He gave his son righteous and pure in exchange for you, unrighteous and impure. Don't you feel some obligation to a God like that? I do. Don't you feel some need to complete the work that he began? I mean, after all, his work was interrupted by being crucified for you. Don't you feel the need to complete the task that he came to start? See, I do. Well, the little nation of Israel got almost completely stomped out and God said, don't worry, I'll give men in exchange for you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Did you know that from May 14th of 1948, men have traveled from the United States to Israel and relocated. They call it Aliyah. They have traveled from east of Israel back to Israel and made Aliyah. And they traveled without opposition from the governments. The governments were all too happy to see them go. God said that would happen in 740 B.C., right here in this book. But watch this. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. The largest airlift of human beings in history was a project called Operation Solomon. In 1991, 15,000 Jews in a single day came out of Ethiopia because the living God spoke to that government and said, do not hold them back. In 1990 through 1999, 1.2 million Jews returned from the former Soviet Union because the living God said, let them go. Governments that had been opposed to their exit, God commanded in our day and in our time to let them go. We live in a day where you don't just have to read Bible prophecy. It's happening all around us. You were born for such a time as this. The question is, are you going to fulfill your purpose in this generation or is it going to slip you by like it has so many other people? Turn with me to Daniel 3. Y'all still with me or are you mad at me? Before too long, I'll probably get a couple of you mad. That's okay. That's, that's how you learn. I used to get mad at my pastor. I went home and studied, and I tell you, nine times out of ten, he was right, and that made me even madder. Church, we need men and women of God. You need your brother and your sister. You need them to step on your toes. You need them to get up in your grill. You need them to look at you and say, Hey, you were born for more than this. Stop that low living. You need to be reminded, spurred on to righteousness. And if that's not the purpose of church, then why do we come together? You don't go to the doctor for him to tell you everything's wonderful, take your money and send you home. You go there because whatever's wrong, you want fixed. But we go to church so we can go to sleep. Appease our conscience. Go home and say we did a good deed. We need to come together as brothers and sisters to remind each other what can be done in the kingdom. If you see yourself as a have-not sitting in this place, I don't have this and I don't have that and I need somebody to get You need the Holy Ghost. This is what you need. He's able to make food rain from the heavens. He has clothed the flowers of the field and there's nobody sitting in here naked. You are not without in the way you think you're without. You might be without faith. But the good news, he'll deposit that in our hearts. I'm going to tell you the truth. Everybody in America seems to want to get rich, but they receive a stricter judgment. It's harder for them to enter the kingdom. Why would you want to be rich? 
Who is it that's rich in faith, friends? Who is it that's rich in faith? The poor. Who's rich in faith? Say it. Who's rich in faith? Why would you fight to be rich? You don't value faith very much, do you? See, when you don't have anything except what God gave you, you know who gave it to you. Saints, I'm telling you the truth. You know where all the miracles are? Among the poor. You know where all the mighty manifestations of the kingdoms clashing are? Among the poor. While the rich sit back and count their dollars, the poor are giving them away for the glory of the kingdom of God because they got nothing else. There are men and women in India that have never worn shoes. They're going to be arrayed in such heavenly splendor you may never recognize them. I've met men in Africa that are so rich in faith they would never stoop to value a shilling over what God had given them. But in America, we think that we are persecuted if we don't have a five-bedroom house. Jesus didn't have a hole in the ground. He didn't have a nest. He didn't even have what foxes and birds have. And you never heard him whine or act like a have-not. Relax, we're going to feast today. We are absolutely going to eat until our heart's content. And I don't feel guilty about it, not one bit. Because it's the best that everybody had to bring. And we brought it for each other. But that's not what my life consists of. My life consists of what I have the opportunity to give. What does your life consist of? The living God is with you when you are with Him, saints. Are you in Daniel 3? Starting in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro. I'm talking about if I knew one Abednego in my life. Just one man who would stand up to the fury of the king. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Let me ask you, who has noticed that you do not walk to the beat of the drummer of the world? Who around you has looked at your life and noticed that you're different? Who has called you to account for the reason that you have hope? How many of you are living so boldly for Jesus that others are asking you? See, these men had moxie. They had courage, backbone, spine. There's a bunch of words for this. You might even know a few of them. They lived so boldly in their love for God that the monarch in the land took note of them. Is it true, he asked, verse 15, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Isn't that like the devil? Here's the great big carrot followed by an even bigger stick. Oh, if you serve me, I'll do so much for you. But ultimately, what's he really after? Their destruction because they live to defy him. Do you live to defy the devil? Now look, you ever been in a discussion with somebody? Let's just for argument's sake say it's this one. 
I know him. And you say it's red. What's he say? No, 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 it's white. Now, the truth is, maybe it's mauve. It's something somewhere. Maybe it's debatable. But this little brother is not going to concede the point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'm telling you, there's only one power on the planet that you're allowed to be contentious with. Only one you're allowed to be rebellious with. Only one that you're allowed to say, I know you said it was white, but I think it's off-white. Only one you're able to pick a fight with. And that's the prince of the power of the air. Who told you you had to be nice? Who told you you had to play by a certain set of rules? You know what? I found out that the people of this world are shrewd in handling their money. I met a rich old white guy one time, and he was always with these beautiful on the outside girls. His name was Ron. That's all you get. You don't get the last name. I said, Ron, uh, how is it that you're with these women who are a quarter of your age? He said, it's easy, Eric. Every time I get to a new city, I walk up to a beautiful woman and say, can I buy you a house? And he was serious. The devil is willing to enslave somebody by giving them a house. And he'll use a puppet who gets something fleshly to give them a house. But what does he want in both of their lives? Destruction. So you know what we do? We go to Mexico and we say, you know what? I noticed that you're trying to serve God. Can I give you a house? Can, can we just build you a house? And there's one condition. This house always got to be used for Jesus. If the devil can use something like that to enslave someone, why can the church of the living God not be that generous? Why can you not go to Africa and build an orphanage for 14 kids who you never met for no other reason than you wanted them to know their daddy loved them? Do we have to have some kind of selfish gain? Do we have to make it a marketing program? Put our church name on their buildings so we can tell everybody how great we are? Life-changing ministries is you. And whenever you go do ministry, I don't care what you call it because it's for the kingdom of God. If the devil is shrewd in dealing with the people of the world and their kind, can we not get with the program, saints, and quit loving the stuff we have so much? One garage sale on one weekend is going to provide for three different missions efforts in three different countries on three different continents. And it's a garage sale. It cost you nothing. You gave away things that you don't really need anymore. But I watched you and I was proud of you because I saw some of you bring things that, you know, you're a little bit misty-eyed to get rid of. My little Abby's in the back. She got a, a horse called Lucky. And for hours and hours and hours, she bounces on that horse. What do you call those things? It's got a rocking horse. It's got springs on it. If we could figure out how to get a generator on that, we'd have limitless supplies of energy. <laughs> and she drug it out in the yard and stared at it. She watched somebody come and look at it, and she kind of eased on over close to him, you know. And I said, hey, that's my little girl's horse, you know, and there was a gentleman looking at it. He looked at her, and he looked at the horse, you know. And what Abby was trying to decide is, is he worthy of my horse? I'm just going to tell you the truth. She's only eight. She might not have the vocabulary for it, but if you know her, she probably does. She wanted to know whether she rocking horse worthy. Is that really the question, though, that we ought to ask? 
Are they worthy? Or is the question, is Jesus worthy? I'm going to tell you the truth. Every one of those orphans could turn out to be a terrible human being. It's not going to happen, but it could. And Jesus would still be worthy of the efforts on his behalf. We had a prophecy today that asked us why we were counting the worth of our offering. It's almost like the Spirit of God's in this place trying to get a message. When you go to war, the reason you declare it is you have decided that victory at all costs, no matter what it costs you, is worth it. You've decided that. Come on, one person's with me. One's decided it. I love this answer. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro replied to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Oh, my goodness, when you're living a righteous life, you don't have to justify yourself to anyone because you have heaven's approval. Somebody said, why are you giving that away? I gave away my, my honeymoon fund when we got born again. We had saved some money. God blessed us through a family member with a, with a trip for our honeymoon. The only problem is, is all the money that was supposed to fund us while we were there, I gave to a couple named Rick and Delia. You remember them, Matthew? They were drug users. But I figured their kids still needed to eat, and so did Matthew. I heard how stupid we were. I heard how, oh, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's funny how the devil can twist Scripture. You know what? We had a fantastic trip, Jennifer and I. Everything we needed, God provided. If we could ever learn the lesson that the real blessing is in making yourself vulnerable before the living God in giving Him an opportunity to meet your need because you didn't protect yourself so much that you met it yourself. Oh, come on, saints. Risk something for Him. If your faith has no element of risk in it, it's not faith at all, and I don't care who tells you different. You're going to find out when you stand before the King of Kings that a faith that had no risk in it, that lost nothing, that hurt never, that had no burden does not impress the king. I think we call that faith without works. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Somebody say amen. amen. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But this is my favorite part. But even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is Holy Ghost defiance. That's the kind of spirit that says, I know what you want me to do. You want to make me your puppet. You trying to sign me up for slave duty. You want to own me. Even if it costs me my life, you'll never get that satisfaction, devil. Oh, this is what the church of the living God was made of. So emperors could not back down apostles. It couldn't happen. It couldn't happen because those emperors didn't have a thing that the great men of God wanted. And therein lies the real battle. Do you want your house 
your family and your job more than you want the kingdom of God. God said in Deuteronomy 20, go home if that's the case. You'll never be successful in this battle. You know, this scripture goes on to throw these guys in the fire. And you know the story. He gets it seven times hotter. He's trying to turn up the heat on them quite literally. But they didn't back down. It gets so hot that the guys throwing them in the furnace get burned up themselves. But what did Nebuchadnezzar see in that fire? He said, I see a fourth man. Somebody like the Son of God. I want to tell you the truth. That day they all became like the Son of God. Somewhere in the fire you find out he's with you. And if you're not in the fire, you never get the satisfaction of knowing it's him who sustains you because you stayed home on the day of battle. You surrendered before the first shot was fired. Oh, get some Holy Ghost courage in this place. I'm going to tell you, in, in every once in a while, Jesus just got real with the people. I mean, he did. Even in his parables, he's walking along. He's like, eh, what, what, what could I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a farmer who went out to sow seed because he sees a dude sowing seed. So in this generation, what could we compare the kingdom of God to? Who in here was born after 1980? 1980 or after? Okay, so you're not all going to get this, but a bunch of you are. We got any Louisiana people in the crowd today? We got any LSU fans in the crowd today? Oh, y'all going to be so disappointed. See, I don't live in Louisiana anymore. I left Egypt and I came to Texas. And now that I'm in Texas, I'm not telling Louisiana stories. Now, my daddy played football at LSU, and he had some rings to prove it, some trophies to prove it, and in his hometown, everybody knew it. But I don't live in Louisiana anymore. And in the 80s, a coach, a great coach named Jackie Sherrill coached the Texas A&M football team. And he had such a novel concept, such a godly kind of thing, even if what he was doing was not all that godly. Every once in a while, even a blind hog finds an acorn. He said, you know what would be really cool? If all those guys that didn't make the cut, if everybody who didn't have a chance to get the scholarship to Division I football if everybody who had ever wanted to play the game, but they just didn't have what it takes, you know, what if they got one play a game? And he called it the 12th man squad. <laughs> it made such an uproar. Everybody said, you're going to kill them. You will kill those guys. If you take people that are not qualified to play Division I football and you put them on the field even for a play, they started calling it the suicide squad. But you know what? The guys liked it. They said, that's right, it's a suicide squad. You play because you're hoping that you'll have an NFL career afterwards. You play because you hope your stats will be good. You play for the glory of your name. We have no regard for any of those things. We simply want to be in the game. That year, the first year it was instituted, a man who got no scholarship offers from anywhere, tackled the Heisman Trophy winner. They let him play only on kickoff. As time went on, they took one man from the 12th man club and put him 
in one play per game. And they found out something. They found out that a man who has a reckless disregard for his own welfare is a dangerous thing. They found out that a man who is not protecting himself is a dangerous thing. Now let me tell you something. Didn't the living God say, if any man follows me, if any man wants to come after me, he must take up his cross? What's he trying to tell you? He'll take care of your life. You don't have to anymore. Oh, man. Now I'm going to tell the truth. A&M's a shadow of what it once was. They've fallen into the same spirit the church age has. Now they don't have an actual 12th man on the field. They just have a bunch of fans that wave their towels like pretty little feathers that say 12th man. At least I'm an equal opportunity offender, right? They're no longer on the field. They just shout the glory of the days they were on the field. Saints, we have to get on the field. Can you say amen? amen. Turn with me to 2 Peter. Oh, I got a few minutes left, don't I? <laughs> it's about to get hot in here. 2 Peter. If the devil can turn up the furnace on people to try to bend them to his will then we can turn up the furnace on people to see if we can bend them to God's will. Anybody want to go God's way? Anybody want to be inclined towards the power of the Holy Ghost? Anybody in this room believe that you were called to more than the life you're living? Listen to what the Apostle Peter said. It's in the second letter he wrote. And in the first chapter, here comes the third verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Somebody say everything. everything. That leaves out nothing. He's given you everything you need. Somebody name something that a person could need. Name it. You, you, what's that? Water. The living God's able to have a prophet strike a rock and water will come flowing out. What else might you need? Shelter. The living God said you can make your home in a lean-to as long as you're following my spirit. Not one disease will harm you. The sun will beat down on you, it thinks. But I'm telling you, I won't allow it to smite you by day nor the moon by night. Psalm 121 says that. What else might you need? Food. He can rain that from the sky. And if you get tired of bread, he can bring you quail. What else might you need? Money. Oh, friends, go with somebody's fish and pull a coin out of the fish's mouth. There is nothing you need that His divine power cannot give you. But have you placed yourself at His disposal? Have you said, living God, right now, I give up the right to my life. Oh, you may have said it, but did you do it? we got a fine way of reducing the most difficult decisions on the planet to words. And we feel better speaking the words, but we lack the power of the life that has actually done it. You know, it is a game changer if you think you only have this one play. I only have this one opportunity to make a mark. It is a game-changing event. I'm blessed in my life to truly believe that I have limited time. I don't know what you jokers do that believe you got all the time in the world. I don't know how you live like that. If I lived poorly today, I'm scared that it might be my last day. I'm scared because the Bible says the time is near and it's short. Yeah. 
that makes it precious to me. Every time I walk out of the house and my little girl holds out her arms for me to hug her and I don't do it, I feel that Holy Ghost ticking inside my chest. I go back and I hug her anyway. Because I don't know how many times I'll get to walk out that door. And you know what? I'll get an eternity with that little princess. That's not the issue. The issue is, will I have deeds that echo through eternity? Will I have completed God's work Listen to how Peter says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What causes corruption? Evil desires. What's the cure for evil desires? Participating in His nature. He will give you a nature transplant. He will change your very heart. He will carve out of you flesh and put in you the power of God's Spirit. You just have to want it. You have to want it more than anything. You have to want it more than your house, more than your family, more than your job, more than anything. You know what we call it when you have something in your life you want more than God's righteousness? idolatry and while you may not see statues everywhere at least in the Protestant world I personally contend that we're the most idolatrous nation on the planet that's saying something because I've been to India six times but we value almost everything above God's approval because we're so sure we have it simply by being Americans I would like to tell you that when you show up for battle, you begin the process of God's favor in your life. When you show up for battle, when you could have stayed home, is when it begins. Because this is faith that is producing acts of love. You love the king so much that you trust him with your life more than you with your life. Somebody say amen for that. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, does that mean that some people are walking around ineffective and unproductive? Yes, because they're not growing. They sat on their salvation. They camped out on that little prayer. And they never moved past baptism if they made it that far. Perseverance. Diligence. Look, the truth is that there are talented people in this room. But I would take a man who consistently showed up, who consistently labored before the Lord, over a talented man that was flaky in his faith any day. Because the Lord's able to do more with your obedience than He could ever do with someone's talents. You know what that means for us? All He wants is for us to love mercy, to act justly, to walk humbly, to chase after Him. He doesn't need you to be great. He needs you to show up. That makes you powerful because He's with you. Turn with me to Proverbs 14.4. At least put it on the screen. How about that? Where there is no oxen, the manger's empty. 
You can just ponder on that one for a minute. There's a bit of a double entendre there. If there's no oxen, the manger's empty because the oxen's not in it, right? That's obvious. You know what else is not in it? The stuff the oxen leaves. It is difficult to have a harvest, guys. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. I'm trying to tell you that it is hard work to harvest. It's messy. You might have to clean a few stalls. You might have to humble and lower yourself. But from that oxen, from that work produced by love, comes an abundant harvest. You know, there are some things that horses are why. When you think of a talented animal, a horse should come to mind. People bet so much money on those things every year. I don't even know what all those races are called. I don't, I don't care to learn, to be honest. But I think it's amazing that those animals run 35 miles an hour. I don't think it's fair they put miniature human beings on them. I think it ought to be a full-size adult. You know? Maybe even a few oversized adults. It'd make it more interesting. Then you could put pads on them. You could line I, That's a different sport. But listen, a horse is beautiful for running. It's got strength. You know what you don't want to do with a horse, though? Plow through deep mud. You know why? They're impatient animals. They try to jump around. They try to run through it. They try to throw off the yoke. They will flat wear themselves out and lay down and die in the mud. A donkey is an amazing animal, too. A donkey... A donkey is sure-footed. I rode one in Big Ben, and I, I clung to it with, as if my life depended upon it. I thought I might fall off, but it didn't look like the donkey was going to fall off that cliff. So I, I clung to the donkey. <laughs> but they're stubborn animals. You get it up close to a bog, and it's going to dig in all four feet, and you could beat it, you could whip it, you could do whatever, and you can't get it to go in. Some might call them smart. It's hard to say whether stubborn and smart and where they cross. I have a video of an oxen, though, I want to show you. What you see here, you see a field in Cambodia. These are two oxen under a yoke. They're just now hitting what is really deep mud. They've come to a stop. They do something really special here. You see them lowering their bodies, getting a little closer to that mud, leaning in just a little further. They're like a big semi that just caught a lower gear. I want you to understand something. The devil will try to knock you to your knees. Be willing to go to your knees. Just catch the lower gear, friends. Sometimes we think we've got to outrun our problems. We think we've got to be stubborn and not get in our problems. The truth is the living God is looking for a man that will trudge through the mud with Him, for Him, and rescue people along the way. The truth is you can take that oxen and put him in chest-deep mud. You know what he'll do? He literally bends his knees, catches a lower gear, and he will walk on his knees to get out of it. But he will not back up from it. Oh, that the living God could make me more like an oxen. I, I'm like a horse. I run the other way. I'm like that other animal with so many King James names sometimes. He's just telling me to go, telling me to go. And I'm like, uh-uh, you know, I need confirmation, Lord. That one's not good. Another one. I, that, that, that one won't work either. I need another one. Because we are scared to suffer loss. 
Oh, that we could throw our fear to the wind. That we could be the twelfth man or the fourth man if you want to go the biblical route. That we could simply know that our God is with us. This takes us to a fundamental question. In Jeremiah 51.20, we see it. Did God call you to be a butter knife? Or did He call you to be a war club? He spoke to Jeremiah and said, You are my war club, my weapon for battle. With you I shatter nations, with you I destroy kingdoms. He goes on to talk about all the things He could do through one man who was willing. Did God call you to spread icing on the cake? Or did He call you to damage the enemy's kingdom? Did He call you to kick down the gates of hell and rescue its victims? Did He call you to advance His cause or sit back and enjoy the spoils of those who went to war? See, I don't think He called a butter knife in this room. Maybe we should go a further route. One of those little knives the British use on their... What is that thing called? that you know if you have to drink it with your pinky stuck out men shouldn't drink it is my personal opinion <laughs> the church of the living God is supposed to be the most powerful apex predator on the planet not the victim of the world that's how God called you to be you want to see a man who did this well we give you one example of a man who did this well and I can hear your stomachs growling, so we'll move on to something else. Turn with me to Acts 21. Somebody say, I'm not a butter knife. I was made for war. In Acts 21, I want you to hear a man's heart that was as stubborn, hard-headed, and holy as could possibly be. All I got to do is find the book of Acts. There we go. Acts 21, starting in verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Coles. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went, and went on board, set sail. After sighting Cyprus passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was unloaded of its cargo. Finding disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Where's the first place they stayed? With the disciples because it was a chance to advance the kingdom. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Who urged Paul? Disciples did. And through what? Through the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that happen? It seems that sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you what's going to happen, but you can draw the wrong conclusion. They knew by the power of the Holy Ghost that Paul was in for a difficult time in Jerusalem. And they wrongly concluded that God didn't want him to go. Look at verse 5. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. That is such a powerful phrase. How many of you know that God's called you to do something? But because it's difficult or because somebody who should have encouraged you is discouraging you, you were talked out of it. Because when his time was up, he left and continued on his way. Did God set you in a direction? Then what man, what institution, what power in heaven or out of hell has the power to stop you? 
If God sets your direction, nobody should change it. You don't have to look for consensus. You don't need the approval of everyone around you if God said it. How easily men and women of God are talked out of their purpose. The devil's been doing it since he first got Eve. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. What's verse 7 say? We continued. And that's exactly what you need to do in the name of Jesus. You need to continue in the direction that He sent you. Continuing, 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 regardless of the cost. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. You know where Caesarea is, friends? It's a stone's throw from Jerusalem. And stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. No matter what this man is told, he's still headed in the direction Jesus told him to go. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. You know where Judea is? It's the region Jerusalem is in. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. Whose belt? Tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner with this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Now the donkey's not going to go. The horse is going to try to run around it. But Paul had that oxen kind of faith. When we heard this, we and the people there, how many is that? I don't know and it doesn't matter. You could line up every person on the planet and you know what you're not going to get Paul to do? Turn back from the plow. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Why? Because nobody wants to suffer loss. Nobody wants to be hurt. But who bought Paul? Jesus bought him. Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Jesus saved Paul, filled Paul with his spirit, and that spirit inside of him would not let him yield. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up. Friends, are you going to give up or is the enemy going to give up? You are in a battle of wills and you have the chance to have your will infused with the power of the Holy Ghost. The question is, who's going to quit first, you or the devil? You know what's not an option? To get out of the ring for a little while. You know, just to take this weekend easy. You know, I just kick back with some friends. We'll watch a few devilish movies, and I'm sure everything will be just fine. You just volunteered for puppet service. You know, this time it'll be okay to get a little bit lit. I can get high just this once. The Lord knows my heart. He knows I still love Him. He knows you're acting like a fool. That's what He knows. He knows that you're exceedingly unfaithful. He knows that when others went to war, you stayed home. I'm trying to tell you, church, to pick a fight. You know where you could start with your fight 
and that own personal battle that's raging inside you and is usually defined by the sin no one else knows is in you. Take your stand. In John 14, 30, Jesus said, The prince of this world is coming for me, but he has no hold on me. There was nothing that the devil had that Jesus wanted. So Jesus was not scared to tangle with him at all. A reckless abandonment of his own life. Strike me down and God will raise me up. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will get scattered and they'll spread the gospel everywhere they go. I am an anvil devil and the more you beat me, the more it will just wear out your hammer. Church, God's Spirit is trying to get us to stand up. Y'all smell something in here? Close your eyes. You might be able to smell it. It's written about, and it's written about in 2 Samuel 14, verse 28. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. What a miserable time period that must have been. Can you imagine not seeing the king's face? In my heart, I could never go two years without seeing the king's face. Can you? Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him out to the king. But Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. What happens when you call somebody and they won't come? Then he said to his servants, Look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Anybody want to guess what Joab does? Then Joab did go to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have you set my servants' fields on fire? Saints, God has been trying to get our attention our whole life, and many of you have already pledged your life to Him. If you won't go to battle, what does that mean? It means you valued your home, it means you valued your family. It means you valued your occupation more than you valued Him. Don't make Him set your life on fire to get you to come to Him. What do you smell? You smell burning barley. You can smell what it is like in the aftermath of lives that have ignored God except when it was convenient. And now they look around and all they see is destruction. And so rather than own up to it, what do we do? Rather than own up and say, it's my fault, I didn't serve him. I didn't speak up when he said to speak up. I didn't shut up when he said to shut up. I didn't do what he told me to do. So what we do is we make ourselves a victim. We say, this old world is beating up on me. And it looks as silly as that cat slapping that big dog in the face. It looks absolutely as silly as that little bulldog thing running from that cat. You were made to be the apex predator on this planet. You were made to bring the powers in the heavens and on the earth in submission to the living God. You have a choice. You get to be predator or you get to be prey. And I'm going to tell you the truth. However you identify yourself is absolutely how you will live. If you believe you are the prey of the enemy then you will be the prey of the enemy. You lost the fight before a shot was fired. But if you believe that the living God in you has given you everything you need for life and godliness, then hell come and whatever else may come out of it, I take my stand and I will fight 
to see the kingdom of God advance. Oh, that we would not have burning barley in here. That's a yucky thing. What was meant to feed God's people has been burned up by the enemy. Why don't we stand to our feet?